two powerful songs that the choir sang this morning. And so I hope that you have just stopped and contemplated the love of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning, perhaps there's no passage that better explains the love of Jesus Christ or God for us than John the third chapter. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them up to John the third chapter. John the third chapter oftentimes is referred to as perhaps the most evangelical chapter in all of God's Word. If you've read the story of Nicodemus, and if you've memorized this verse that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, you know that this chapter is really twofold. Two very important truths that it's trying to teach to us. First, is trying to teach to us about God's love and His desire for everyone in the world to experience God's love in their life. God's desire is that we would all know Him in a personal way. You know, on Sunday mornings, we've been traveling through the Gospel of John. We started this a number of months ago, and one of the reasons, or really there was a couple of reasons that I felt led to preach this passage or this entire book on Sunday morning. One reason is, is because for us who know Jesus Christ, I wanted us to grow in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, that we might have an opportunity just to get to know Christ more and really see Christ for who He really is. And no book in the Bible gives us a better glimpse of who Jesus Christ is than the book or the gospel of John. The gospel of John is all about explaining who Christ is to us. The second reason I wanted to preach through this particular gospel was because if there are people that are with us this morning who are searching, they are exploring Christianity, they have questions about what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I want them to see who it is that Jesus Christ really is. I want them to go to the Word of God, and I want them to understand through the Word of God exactly who this person, Jesus Christ, is. And there's no book, as I said earlier, that better explains that to us than the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, in the opening chapter, oh wow, if you want to know who Jesus Christ is, just begin to read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen, right? That is the kind of God that we serve. An eternal God, a God who has clearly revealed Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were with us last Sunday morning, we really began to dive into chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. It is a great chapter, and really, more than anything else, I hope this is what you took away from the sermon last Sunday morning. It is possible to be very, very religious and still not be right with God. It is very possible 
to be very, very religious and not be right with God. I mean, there was no man who was more religious than Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus did everything that the law required him to do. But when you begin to look at Nicodemus' life, you begin to realize Nicodemus had a very major spiritual problem in his life. As a matter of fact, in the opening verses of this chapter, John reveals to us Nicodemus' problem. He says, Nicodemus, your problem is you need to be born again. And then he spends the next six or seven verses explaining to Nicodemus what it truly means to be born again. And this is what Jesus Christ says to him. He says, you must be born of water and you must be born of the Spirit. To be born of water means to be cleansed through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. To be born of the Spirit means to be renewed in our spirit by the Holy Spirit salvation is a miracle of God. None of us can make ourselves be born again any more than we can make ourselves be born physically the first time. It is utterly impossible. It is an unexplainable work of God in the hearts and the lives of the person who trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that great to know? We can't make ourselves be born again. It is a miracle. God, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you have been born from above, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've experienced the single greatest miracle known to mankind. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave lives in you today and lives in me. We have the Spirit of the living God in us. We have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in us, and because the Spirit of God lives in us, we have been transformed. We think differently, we speak differently, we live differently as followers of Jesus Christ. So in the opening verses of this passage of Scripture, chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ is wanting Nicodemus to understand what it truly means to be born again. This morning I want us to look at the second part of this story, and if we're going to understand the second part of this story, we really have to travel back in the history of Israel. If we're going to take the words of Jesus Christ in context that are found in this passage of Scripture. If you remember in the Old Testament, it was God who delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt by the power of the Lamb or the power of the blood of the Lamb and by His hand. He brings them out into the wilderness, and there in the wilderness, they experience this first victory. Then, after this first victory, it's shortly after that, that they began to grumble and complain against God and the man of God, Moses. So you know what God does? God judges them. He sends snakes to bite them, and they begin to die. 
Now, there is a very important principle, I believe, that is found in that story in Numbers 21. And this is it. We need to be very careful about grumbling and complaining against the things of God. You do know this morning that grumbling and complaining is not a spiritual gift, right? We do know that, right? But I want to tell you something. God takes serious His people when they grumble and complain against Him and when they grumble and complain against His church. Now, I don't know about you, but that ought to give every one of us a pause as we think about that. But God judges the children of Israel for their grumbling and complaining against Moses, the man of God, and against God himself. They actually say to Moses, Moses, you have led us out into the wilderness to die is what you've done. Now, eventually, the children of Israel come to their senses and they repent. And they go to Moses, and this is what they say, Oh, Moses, would you please go to God on our behalf and ask Him to take away the snakes that are biting us and that we are dying as a result of? You know what God does? You would almost think or believe that God is going to intervene into the life of the children of Israel, and He's going to remove the snakes, but that is not what God chooses to do. He says to Moses, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a bronze snake. I want you to put it on top of a pole, hold it up for the child, before the children of Israel, and everyone who looks up to the snake will live. Now, if you're like me, when I read that story, I thought... Man, that is an odd story. Isn't that just a little bit weird? Put a bronze snake on top of a pole and hold it up, and everybody who looks up at the snake will be healed, and they will live. That's what it says. But I would tell you this morning, the key to understanding that story is understanding that the snake on top of the pole is a picture of who Jesus Christ would be and what He would do at Calvary for you and I. I want you to listen to Jesus' words that He speaks to Nicodemus beginning in verse 9, chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. If you have your place or your device there, just follow along as I read this. Nicodemus said to him, that's Jesus Christ, how can these things be? So Nicodemus still doesn't understand what it is that Jesus Christ has been teaching him. So Jesus answers him and says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. What did Nicodemus not understand? Well, he didn't understand Jesus Christ's teaching about being born again. Do you remember what Nicodemus said to Jesus Christ? He said, Jesus, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And so Jesus Christ is questioning him. Here is a man who was supposed to be the spiritual leader of the nation, and he doesn't understand spiritual things. That is very important for us to understand here in this passage of Scripture. God's people are in serious trouble when the spiritual leaders who are leading them do not understand spiritual things. 
I mean, think about it for a moment. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, who were to be leading the children of Israel in understanding of spiritual things, but Nicodemus can't even understand what it means to be born again. So Jesus is going to go on and say here, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, did you see something that switched there in that verse? Jesus moves away from a singular pronoun now to a plural pronoun. Do you see that? First, it was Nicodemus, me, you, I. But now, all of a sudden, Jesus Christ switches on Nicodemus, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Do you see the switch there? You see, according to Jewish law, in, any, in order for anything to be valid, there had to be more than one witness. Jesus Christ has taken Nicodemus back to his baptism when the Spirit of God resided upon him and the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The testimony was the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, and the Father. Do you see that here in this passage of Scripture? Jesus Christ is saying, I want you to understand something, Nicodemus. My Father in heaven and the Spirit of the living God testify to who I am, is what he's saying. Now listen to what he says here. If I had told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, don't miss what he says here in verse 14 and 15. These are the key verses, and this is where I really want us to really spend most of our time this morning in these verses. Listen to what he says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now what I really like about these two verses here is Jesus Christ makes it so very clear for us about what needs to happen in a person's life in order for them to have eternal life. There is nothing ambiguous about these two verses. When Jesus Christ speaks these two words to Nicodemus, he makes it very clear to him and saying, Nicodemus, I want you to understand something very important here. It is me, it is by me and me alone that salvation takes place in a person's life. Do you see what he said here in this passage? He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, there's that story he takes them back to, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, did you hear what Jesus Christ didn't say in this passage of Scripture? Jesus Christ didn't say, now, if you believe in Muhammad, you'll have spiritual life. He didn't say in this passage of Scripture, if you believe in Confucius, you'll have uh, uh, eternal life. He didn't say, if you believe in Buddha, you'll have eternal life. He didn't say, well, what you need to do is become religious and you will have eternal life. What we learn in these two verses is this. Jesus Christ is the one who is able to give life. No one else can give life except for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Do you see that here in this passage of Scripture? Life is found in Christ and no one else. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Life is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that is not a popular notion in the world in which we live in today, but that is the reality, the truth of God's Word today. Salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone and no one else. No one else. We can't save ourselves. We can't become religious and get eternal life. We can't be baptized and get eternal life. Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's what Jesus Christ says in this passage of Scripture. The clear teaching of God's Word is this. There is only one road that leads to heaven, and it goes through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know what that word in the original Greek there, that word, those two words, no one, mean? Now, this is deep. Get it, all right? It means no one. That's what it means. No one. It's exactly what it means. You know what Jesus Christ was saying? There is no other way by which man can be right with God apart from trusting in me. Do you see that here? Think about it for a moment. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is trying. He's struggling to understand spiritual things. Nicodemus is a very religious man. He's doing all the right things. He's trying to obey. He's praying. He's going up to the temple. He's offering sacrifices. He's fasting. He's trying to do everything right that he thinks God requires of him to be right with him. And Jesus Christ says to him, Nicodemus, life is found in none of that. Life is only found in me. But you know, as I look at the world we live in, you know, people are looking for life in dead things. Isn't that so true? They're hoarding up things here on earth as though those things can give them life. They're putting all of their energy and their time into things of the earth. It's like they're building their kingdom here on earth as though somehow or another that's going to bring a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And at the end of the day, all of those things are empty. They're all empty. You know why that is? Because life is never found in things, material possessions. Life is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're just wore out, you're just, man, I'm wore out. Man, I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm trying to achieve everything this world has to offer. I will tell you this. There is no satisfaction in the things of the world. No lasting satisfaction. It will all pass away one day. The clear teaching that Jesus is wanting to give to Nicodemus is this. Salvation is found in me, Nicodemus, and me alone. You can't find salvation, life, anywhere else. I can put your mind at ease this morning if you would like me to. If you're tired, 
wore out struggling against the world, this is what I would encourage you to do this morning. Look up to Jesus Christ. Look up to Jesus Christ. He said, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So this is the takeaway I want you to get from this first point. Here it is. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Number two, salvation is based on a response of faith. Now go back to this verse, and I want you to see it in verse 15, that whoever believes in him. That word believe is, believes is a very important word in the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, it appears 75 times in 22 chapters. That's over three times a chapter. I think you would agree with me this morning when I make this statement. Man, if a word appears 75 times in a book, it's got to be important, right? As a matter of fact, I like what one person said. He said, the key to unlocking God's salvation for our life is faith. It takes a response of faith in Jesus Christ for us to experience true life in our hearts and our lives. This word believe means to throw the full weight of yourself upon Jesus Christ. It is to recognize that you are utterly helpless to change your sinful nature, and apart from Christ, you are doomed to perish. It is so much more than just giving mental assent to some facts about Jesus Christ. To believe results in a radically different life. To believe in Christ for salvation affects what you think, say, and how you live. Jesus said salvation requires believing on Him. That's what it requires. It requires a response of faith in Jesus Christ. So let's review quickly the two truths that I've given you about this passage of Scripture, the two truths that we find about salvation. The first truth is this, salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. The second one is this, salvation is based on a response of faith. Here's the third one, don't miss it. Salvation is wholly an act of God's grace. It is wholly an act of God's grace. Now there are some people that would have us believe this morning that we are saved by faith, plus works. But I want you to listen to these three verses here, and I want you to judge for yourself what it is that is said. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works that any man should boast. And then in Galatians, the second chapter, in the 16th verse, this is what Paul writes. He says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Those three verses make it very clear that salvation is wholly an act of God's grace. So do you know what that means? There is nothing, nothing, you can ever do in life to make God love you any more or any less than He loves you at this very moment. 
It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how many times you've come up short in your life. I will tell you right now, God loves with an unconditional, sacrificial love. He proved the extent of His love. There can be no greater picture of love than the cross of Jesus Christ. The only thing we must do is look to the cross. It screams to us, I love you. That's what it says. That's what it says to us. Because you see, in the back of our minds, there's this voice that is playing all the time that's saying, if you will only do this, then you'll be accepted by God. You know what? If you'll only clean your life up, then you can get accepted by God. But can I tell you something this morning? You and I, you and I can never clean our life up enough to be accepted by God. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can make us accepted by God. It is wholly an act of God's grace. Think about it for a moment. Do you remember that opening story I shared with you a moment ago? Let me ask you a question real quick. Did the children of Israel deserve the forgiveness of God? Did they really deserve to be saved from the snakes? No, they didn't. They didn't deserve to be saved by God. Now get this though, because this is a beautiful picture of God's grace. The only thing they had to do in order to be saved was look up at the bronze snake. What did Moses tell them? Look up and you will live, is what he said. You will live. Let's fast forward now to this passage of Scripture right here. I would tell you the same is still true today. None of us deserve the forgiveness and the salvation of God. It is wholly an act of God's grace. And Jesus says... Look up to me and believe that I've died to pay the penalty for your sins and you will be saved. Is what Scripture says. Now I'll tell you something. The world will have you to believe there are many different ways in which a person can be saved. But I would tell you this morning that completely and totally contradicts the Word of God. Jesus said He is the only way by which men can be saved. Now here it is, and this is really what I want you to take away this morning. I want you to just think about this statement. It is only as you look up to Christ in faith that you can experience the greatest gift of all, salvation. Salvation is wholly an act of God's grace in a person's life. And this morning, this is the question I want you to consider. Have you experienced that grace in your life? Have you looked up 
to Jesus Christ and trusted in Him and Him alone for your salvation. Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw mankind unto me. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced that in your life, today is the day that God wants you to experience His grace in your life. And the key to experiencing God's grace, the key that unlocks that door, is simply a response of faith. Let's pray.